This episode of New Politics was released on the 1st of December, 2021, and produced on the land of the Wangal people. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. In this episode, a new wave of coronavirus arrives on the scene to add to the political mayhem and a grassroots independent campaign in the Melbourne seat of Deakin. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, anonymous social media troll. Thank you to all of our new Patreon subscribers and thank you for your continuing support. And if you would like to support our little venture, the details are available at our website, newpolitics.com.au, and it's a very good way to support independent journalism. It's the final week of the Parliament for 2021, and it's not too different from any other week over the past few weeks. There's been chaos, dysfunction and a focus on all the things that don't really matter, such as the anti-trolling legislation to remove anonymous accounts on social media, and ignoring all the things that do matter, such as climate change, corruption, health, education and the economy. And it seems like there's absolutely no urgency for these matters, and it's almost as if the federal government is just waiting for someone else to sort out these issues. Whatever does happen during this final part of the year, it doesn't really matter that much. Both sides of politics are positioning themselves for the next federal election, which is likely to be held at some point between March and May next year. And it's shaping up to be one of the most defining elections of our generation. The pandemic that Scott Morrison keeps hoping is coming to an end just keeps coming back with the appearance of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. And that's likely to add a few unknowns to the next campaign. The Prime Minister would have been hoping to ride to success at the next election on the back of the politics of the pandemic, but a new variant of coronavirus that will be there as a reminder of all of the issues he's mismanaged during the pandemic. And if it continues, it's likely to take Morrison's political career with it as well. When you try and get business to solve everything, when you put the economy at the centre of all your problems, you run into these problems. The virus doesn't care how rich you are, how wealthy you are, how poor you are, how however it is. And yes, it will cost a lot of money. We may need to go into another lockdown. Nobody wants that. But it may be to stop this spread, the borders will have to stay shut. I think Queensland and Western Australia have already, well, I think Queensland has already suggested that they're going to delay the opening of their border, which was due for the 17th. And of course, it waltzed into Sydney, as these things always do. Now, fortunately, the health department seems to have prevailed this time, and uh, it seems at the time of recording to be under some control. So it may be that we'll be okay. I know that there's a lot of fear out there about having to take another vaccine or what have you. I also know that the designers of the various vaccines were aware of how the, the virus may mutate. So have essentially programmed in that so that the common traits of each of the COVID-19 variants can still be recognised by the immune system. It'll be interesting to see how Morrison deals with this. He went to the last election essentially promising to do nothing. Will he try that tactic again? 
Well, political leaders essentially need to keep the community safe, but they also don't like to be reminded of the mistakes from the past. And that's one reason why Scott Morrison kept on using that slogan last week, moving forward. And if the past is a terrible place, well, who wants to be reminded about that? But many political leaders all around the world, not just in Australia, but all around the world, they have been warned or they were warned by epidemiologists that the coronavirus will be with us for some time to come and that governments do need to be prepared for this. But this government in particular, it wants to defy reality and put us on a pathway to, well, there's been many forms of this, the snapback of the economy. They wanted to push things to the way that they were before the pandemic commenced. And and that's understandable. Of course, people want to retreat back to the safety zone that they used to be in. But the problem is that the ways of the past will probably never come back. The world is moving on. And this government still hasn't built dedicated quarantine centres. It wants to open up to the rest of the world as quickly as possible. It bots the procurement of vaccines. If Omicron continues as an issue, it will be there as a reminder to the electorate of all of those things that this government should have done to guard against future lockdowns and secure the health of the community. But they just neglected to do this. And it's it's also a bit of a conflicting in the narrative that's being pushed forward by the government. So it was just last week that Scott Morrison was making a big pitch about the electorate having a gutful of governments telling people what to do. But it looks like there's another tune that he'll have to change very, very quickly. The, the time for governments telling people what to do, especially in public health, are far from over. Yeah, we've said it many times. It could nearly be the catchphrase of this podcast wrong government for the wrong time, a government that wants to strip itself down to nothing so business can run rampant or certain businesses can run rampant is not a time where we need strong government direction, a powerful health department or a capable health department that is able to make the hard decisions in concert with the government, knowing that people's lives are at stake and people's lives are at stake. I keep hearing that, oh, people die with the virus, not of it. Well, one, that's not true. And two, even if it is true, why are we shortening people's lives? It makes no sense. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Omicron. It's it's only been around for a couple of weeks and it takes a while before we fully determine what the outcome there will be. But there's been a couple of other issues that have developed within Parliament. And it seems that this government just keeps being obsessed with all the issues that just do not matter. So they are due to release a draft of the anti-troll legislation this week. No one's actually seen it yet. I guess people within the government have. And at this stage, we do have to remember that it's only an announcement and we shouldn't really believe anything from this government until they actually do it. But for me, this is such a low order issue. And government should be concerned about these sorts of issues. But to make this your number one issue... It just seems to show how bereft this government is. And we'll have to wait and see what's in the legislation. But every mainstream social media platform company is based in other countries. It's They're based in the US, China, Germany. And creating domestic laws for companies that are governed by other jurisdictions, well, it's almost impossible. So all of this is unlikely to work. And that's if it ever does become law and there's no certainty of that happening. But this is a government that keeps itself busy with all the issues that don't really matter. And that's issues such as the Religious Discrimination Bill or the Voter ID Bill that was defeated in Parliament last week or a Senate inquiry into the ABC's complaints procedure. So 
none of these issues really, really matter. But in all of those issues or those areas that do matter to the electorate, such as climate change, a federal anti-corruption commission, reducing sexual harassment in the workplace, eliminating domestic violence, they neglect all of these issues and virtually do nothing about it. So just this week, there was one recent development where the federal government used the Foreign Relations Act to overturn the involvement of five Australian states and territories in the Under Two Coalition, and that's an international campaign to restrict the rise of global temperatures all around the world to under 2% by 2050. So even when other state and territory governments are trying to do something positive, and in this case it's on climate change, the federal government steps in and stops them from doing something that's good for the environment and good for the community. So for me, it's just very difficult to work out what the purpose of this government actually is. The purpose of the government is to protect its donors and keep everybody else away. What is an anonymous troll? Most of the trolls I've seen, not all of them, have been right-wing pro-government trolls. Most of the people they accused of being trolls haven't really done trolling behaviour. Again, not all of them. A lot of people wish to remain anonymous online for all kinds of reasons, not just so that you can shoot out insults to a person you don't like, but some people need to have their identity protected. Others don't want a public profile as such. Others too well-known in their industry and so have a, a nickname to hide some of their political views that might get them into trouble in their industry where they can speak a bit more honestly. Chasing after this, it's probably some kind of reaction to people like Christian Porter trying to sue for defamation against others to try and stop that type of thing being felt to be necessary. But I think it's more a distraction, and I think it attracts maybe the less technically proficient. I don't want to say older voters, because it's not just older voters. And there are plenty of older voters who are on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all of those. But there's certainly a group of quite conservative thinkers who think that social media is bad and that it's just filled with insults and arguments. They're not entirely wrong in some cases, but it's not the way to deal with that problem. You deal with that problem by uh, setting the tone of debate at a national level. Oh, well, exactly. But also social media, it depends on what that media platform actually is and it depends on the people behind that. But again, it gets back to how important are these particular issues? And yes, well, I'd love it if we had a world where there was no anonymous trolling. We actually cop quite a lot of abuse, David, on social media. And a lot of the material that, that is directed towards us in the form of abuse is from anonymous trolls. And the best thing to do for us is just to avoid all of that interaction with those sort of people or block them as soon as possible. So yes, it is an issue, as I said before, but to make this the number one priority, it's obviously a bit of a distraction for the government. Instead of doing the, the big picture items that the community is really concerned about, this is one thing that they're concentrating on. And, and the other factor is that the media takes on all of these issues. So whenever Scott Morrison makes an, an announcement such as this, they'll report it fully and turn it into an important issue, even though it's not really the important issue of the day. Anything to distract from all of the other shortcomings, the religious discrimination bill. And you note too, a lot of this stuff only lasts about a week and they move on from it because they feel that they've distracted enough. 
trouble is, even if people can't remember the details, they remember that there's something not quite competent about this government and it will come back to bite them. Well, it also is that scattergun approach where you just make it look like you're dealing with all of these different issues. And if there's one issue that gets political traction, well, you keep on repeating that message again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the impression that they're trying to put out, that yes, we are a serious government that deals with all of these different issues. Even if they never introduce any of this legislation or if it's defeated on the floor of parliament, well, that doesn't really matter. At least they're putting out the message in the media that this is all the important stuff that we're doing. We're a really busy government. But in the meantime, all of the big issues just keep falling apart. They're just not being attended to at all. And it's what they want. They want to degrade everything so they can sell it off to their donors. They want to avoid as much responsibility as they can. And this goes back to quarantine. Quarantine is one of the few things very clearly defined in the Australian Constitution as being the responsibility of the federal government. Could we have a very important high court case over the construction of quarantine facilities built by the Victorian and Queensland governments? And what might that mean? You know, I think that there is a definite problem with uh, legal jurisdiction here. Now, David, you and I love talking about opinion poll figures and those sort of issues, but the poll figures just keep getting worse for the Liberal National Parties, with the latest Morgan poll showing a two-party preferred vote of 55.5% for the Labor Party and 44.5% for the Liberal National Coalition. Now, the Morgan poll isn't that reliable, but we could argue that all polls are unreliable at the moment. But the overall aggregate polling is 54% for Labor and 46% for the Liberal National Coalition. And as the former Prime Minister Julia Gillard said, it doesn't mean everything, it doesn't mean nothing, but it does mean something. And whatever you do think of the polls, the government would prefer to be in a different position at the moment. But the longer that this continues, the more difficult it is for the government to turn things around. And of course, they'll ramp up the rhetoric about China. They'll play the pantomime of the culture wars. They'll continue to blame Labor for absolutely everything. And that's what conservative governments generally do. But they may have already reached the point of no return. And it doesn't really matter what kind of scare campaign they mount. It's not actually going to work for them. Mm. I think the tag of liar has stuck with the Prime Minister. And in the past, that has been a fatal tag. If you can't believe the Prime Minister, he can't keep the job. And it, it's that simple. Now, things have changed since 2013. So he just might be able to ride this one through too, causing great gnashing of teeth and pulling of hair by critical voices. But you can only go so far, and I think trust. I think one thing people did, or enough people did, was trust Tony Abbott, when he said no cuts to the ABC, no cuts to SBS, he didn't follow through on that. They trusted Malcolm Turnbull when he tried to bring in emissions trading. He lost the people's trust when he couldn't do that. He actually lost his party's trust too. They didn't want him to do that, at least some of them. We're now seeing that sea change with a lot of Liberals either leaving the party or demanding more action. Morrison lost a lot of trust with him going to Hawaii, which is the issue that, as we discussed last podcast, doesn't go away. But I don't think he's been able to regain the trust back. And that just might be the thing that beats him at the next election, if they let him get there. You're listening to New Politics, 
You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au, and you can now follow us at Patreon. Up next, we take a look at a grassroots independent campaign in the Melbourne seat of Deakin. The seat of Deakin in Melbourne is held by Michael Sukar, and it's an entirely winnable seat for either the Labor Party or an independent candidate, or even the Greens Party. The margin there is just 4.8%, which means that it's classified as a marginal seat. Michael Sukar is the Assistant Treasurer, and he's been caught up in a few branch stacking scandals in the past, so it seems like it's a seat that's ripe for picking. And it seems like there's also a few campaigns out there that are trying to win the seat from the Liberal Party. So David, what's going on in the seat of Deakin? I spoke to Kieran Simpson, who's part of the colloquially named Shady Sukkar movement, which really wants to remove him. And it's very interesting. They don't have a candidate, unlike other independent movements who some are still finding their candidates. They can't afford to run a, a campaign to get someone elected. It shows, I think, the power of democracy at work, that you can run a campaign to remove someone who you don't think is fit for office. So the seat of Deacon is going to be a very interesting seat to watch at the next election. And I had a very informative and interesting conversation with Kieran about it. Thanks for joining us, Kieran. Uh, thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and to your listeners uh, to help explain what our campaign's about and also to see if there are any uh, sympathetic voices amongst your audience that might want to help us with our campaign. So let's cut straight to the chase. Why do you want to get rid of Michael Sukar? Yeah, well, that's the, that's the obvious question, isn't it? Um, the short answer is that he's Tony Abbott with better hair. Um, the longer answer is that we just think he is a completely inappropriate person to be in Parliament. Um, he was dropped into the seat of Deakin by the Tony Abbott conservative-led resistance movement within the Liberal Party, uh, which means he believes in that political and economic philosophy that we know is so toxic and so damaging to our country, both economically uh, but also to the social fabric of, of our country. He was the numbers man for Peter Dutton uh, for the coup to remove Malcolm Turnbull we believe that there are very serious questions uh, that Mr. Sukar needs to answer uh, with respect to the allegations made about him uh, by Channel 9 slash The Age. Even though the Department of Finance inquiry cleared him last year, uh, The Age claims to have a lot of leaked material that would directly contradict Mr. Sukar's assertions. Uh, to the best of our understanding, none of that material was examined as part of the original inquiry, nor were any staff interviewed, even those that volunteered were not contacted to be part of that inquiry. Uh, in the recent material regarding the allegations of the misuse of taxpayers' money, The Age published a headline, Michael Sukar knew of the scheme, which would directly contradict his, his public statements. 
Uh, we would like to see an investigation that examines all the evidence and then determines whether or not there has been any wrongdoing. We don't want to prejudge that inquiry, but we want to know what really went on uh, because this is taxpayers' money. This is our money that is alleged to have been misused. And we want to know the truth because, unfortunately, Michael Suka has a pattern of treating taxpayer money like his money, and we don't like that very much. We don't think he's very fiscally responsible. As assistant treasurer, he has been part of the JobKeeper program, uh, which we know has been rorted to the nth degree. We've had $80 billion go to businesses who made profit during the pandemic, and we're not against people getting support uh, that they needed during the pandemic. If you if you needed the, the money, um, great. As a taxpayer, as taxpayers, we are more than willing to help you. Uh, but if you made profit during JobKeeper, if your business made profit and you're paying shareholder dividends, you're paying bonuses and stuff, you don't need JobKeeper. And that's a rort. And that's taking our money, our taxpayers' money for your private business interests. And Michael Sukar is actively trying to prevent the names of those companies being released. And we don't think that's fair. We don't think that's transparent. He gave $42 million to a local council as part of car park rorts, uh, even though no, none of the projects have been properly assessed. That's not fiscally responsible. You know, the Liberals try to make the claim that they're better with money. And we look at Michael Sukar and we look at his behaviour and we just go, nah, mate, that doesn't stack up. Um, he's a pathetic pork barreler who doesn't deliver. He's made many promises and he doesn't deliver them. Uh, car park rorts is the biggest example that's in the media. One of those car parks has been cancelled. The rest might not even happen because of technical reasons. You know, the sites that were chosen were inappropriate. There's engineering concerns. Um, the Auditor General specifically called out some of those projects in the seat of Deakin as saying they were completely without merit. Why did Mr Sukar promise them? Well, a Liberal insider was reported to have said that the only reason that they were promised was to help shore up support for Sukar and others during the election because the Liberals were worried they were going to lose their seats. So not only did they pork barrel, but they pork barreled that they were never going to deliver. It's just an absolutely abject failure. And we think that we need a local member who's not going to be involved in those sorts of shenanigans. Uh, he's lied to his electorate several times. The most notable is that he committed to voting, and I quote, vote in the parliament in accordance with the majority view of Australians with respect to the vote to change the Marriage Act. He, of course, did not. Deakin especially returned a 66% yes vote uh, for that postal survey, and Michael Sukar walked out of the chamber following Tony Abbott and did not honour his commitment to the electorate. He has since then tried to deny he even made that commitment even though I just read you a, a direct quote uh, from the newspaper. It's pretty shameful the way he, he, has, he's, he lied and, uh, and he has lied about other issues. Suka has been in Deakin for eight years and what have we got to show for it? Practically nothing. Um, we've got a few infrastructure projects that have predominantly been the work of the state government and the local councils. We believe Michael Suka is, is someone who's in politics for himself he wants to be a factional warlord within the Liberal Party. He wants to amass power for himself. Uh, and as more material gets leaked about what Michael does in private versus what he does in public, a good example is those, those WhatsApp messages regarding Jane Hume. Uh, we see a completely two-faced individual. And we don't want politicians like that in our government. We don't want people like that representing our seat. And so we've developed the Shady Sukar campaign. Um, we've got the website, shadysukar.com. And we're also doing various social media things. And our message is very simple. Michael Sukar does not represent you. He does not represent Deacon. He does not represent Victorians. He only represents himself. 
And if he wants to put himself first, then we should put him last. So tell us about your uh, campaign team. Who is in the team um, or what type of people? How big is it? All of those details. Yeah, so we're very, we're very small. As you can imagine, you know, trying to get something like this off the ground, a grassroots campaign, is quite difficult. We thought about, you know, we, we are seeing the, the voices of campaigns that are getting around the various parts of the country. And we think that's great. Um, we think that it's absolutely fantastic that we are seeing people stand up for democracy, people who want, who are taking an active interest in, you know, who represents them in our political system. The thing is, is that these voices of groups, a lot of them, you take North Sydney, Goldstein, Kuyong, they are all tapping into pre-existing liberal anger, right? Um, you look at the independent candidate for North Sydney, Kylie Tink. Uh, she voted for Trent Zimmerman in the last election. I mean, she said that. It's, it's in the paper. Her um, The campaign manager used to be a liberal staffer, right? So you've got you've kind of got these disgruntled groups of liberals around the country who are saying the Liberal Party does not represent us. And so whilst the electorate might not vote Labor or for the Greens, uh, they might vote for a Liberal-ish candidate, you know, a small-L Liberal, for example. And we think that works awesome. But we, we're not seeing that sort of local Liberal anger in Deakin, um, at least not publicly. We know that uh, not everyone's chummy within the Victorian Liberals. We know that not everyone's chummy within the branches of the Deakin electorate. If we cast our mind back to 2018 when the Termite Crusher audio recordings were released. Could, could you fill us in? Yeah, sure. So basically some audio that from memory was leaked from a branch meeting. So someone recorded Mr. Suka at a branch meeting basically talking about how they need to crush the socialists and the Liberal Party and, you know, hence the term crushing the termites. And um, we've got links to some of the material regarding this issue on shadysuka.com if anybody wants to probe further. But the fact that this audio uh, was leaked potentially by a member of his own party, by his own branch, you know, says something about the cohesion of the Liberal Party within um, his area. So we know, we know that everyone's not chums, but we're not seeing that same public level of anger. And one of the one of the issues that we really think is is that going back to that point about Suka not being a household name, people don't understand what he's been doing. People don't know uh, unless you're politically aware or you're switched on. There's different pockets of the electorate that are, are very liberal electorates. You know, they vote because of the party or because Sukar's gone into various parts of the electorate. He is, look, we have to be honest, he is a very good campaigner and therefore that makes people think he's a good representative. But if we actually look at what he does, what he votes for, you know, going back to the, the voices of movements, you know, you take Trent Zimmerman, for example. Oh, he's a good guy, but he votes along with Barnaby Joyce. If you're so passionate about cl climate change, Katie Allen, why do you keep voting in the same way as Matt Canavan? You know, why aren't you willing to cross the floor? We've seen uh, people be willing to cross the floor over vaccine mandates, of course, the recent shenanigans in the Senate. But if you're so committed to this this moral issue why aren't you willing to cross the floor? And the fact is, is that Sukar, uh, if we look at his voting history, he he is, as I keep saying, he's Tony Abbott, right? He 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 voted uh, against the establishment of a federal ICAC, and sometimes you got to ask yourself why. You know, he was part of the government that got rid of the carbon tax, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we have a guy who believes in a set of ideas and policies that we don't think are, are good interest for the for the country. But to go back to your question, we just don't think people are aware. And so we want to try and raise that awareness with our campaign. And so we're just we're just a group of individuals in the electorate who have had enough, who who go, well, 
this guy we think is pretty shady looking. We don't think he's good. We don't think his policies are good. Uh, and, and Deacon deserves better. So that's that's what we're trying to do. have a candidate ready for election yet or are you selecting someone or will you no no we're not we're, we talked about you know what we wanted to try and achieve with the campaign and and based off our resources available to us and the people who are involved we're, we're not we're not big names in the electorate we're not we don't have those connections we don't have the money and so we thought well you know we're not going to start a voices of campaign in the same mold as the previous ones we just want to make people aware if people look at Michael Sukar's record and they think he's a great guy and I still want to vote for him, then that's democracy. And, you know, I might be thinking why uh, and might be wanting to have some conversations with these people, but that's democracy. Our biggest problem is, is that we don't, people in the electorate don't know. They don't know what he's been up to. They don't know how he's been sabotaging charities. You know, we Deakin is a bit of a mixed bag socioeconomically. You know, we've got some very middle upper middle class areas and we've got some poorer areas. And so I would argue that uh, some of the upper middle class areas in the electorate would give to charities. And, and why not? You know, we, we want to try and do better things for our country and for our local communities. Um, would you be happy with your local charity or charities in general having to spend up to $150 million in extra compliance costs and red tape that Michael Sukar has foisted upon them because he doesn't like charities advocating for better policy and criticising him and the Liberal government? I wouldn't. I don't want my money that I donate to charities to go to compliance costs. I want them to go to the. I want it to go to the resources that's needed to help the people that I'm donating to the charity for. But these rules are so bad that Sukar wants to put forward. And again, we've got more details on the website if people are interested. But you know, at a parliamentary, a liberal chaired parliamentary inquiry has even said these rules are rubbish and the entire bill should be scrapped. You know, no amendments. Get rid of the whole thing entirely. So why is Sukar pushing so hard for this bill? Well, it's because he wants to silence charities. Charities advocate for better policy. They're fighting on behalf of um, the the marginalised in our community. And Sukar and the Liberals don't like that because it's criticising them. It's criticising their rubbish policies and they don't like that. So, you know, rather than deal with that fact, they want to shoot the messenger. So we ask the question, does your average person in Deakin know what he's doing to charities, for example. Do you know how bad his housing policies are? Sure, he'll get up and he'll quote a whole bunch of numbers, but do you actually understand that he's helped put up, he's helped push up house prices? There was a great article in The Age um, the, other, the other day, the other week, um, the National um, Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, I think it is. It's a very long name, so apologies if I got that slightly wrong. Um, you know, they basically said, all the, all the government's first home vendor grants have done is help uh, push up the price of housing. So how's that helping with housing affordability? Um, so are people aware, you know, uh, that of, of, his, of his voting record? Are people aware that, you know, he's voting for lack of action on climate change? You know, if that's an issue that's important to you, you know, why would you vote for a guy who has been voting against uh, positive action on that front? Are people and again, unless you're politically switched on, are you aware of all the shenanigans that's been going on inside the Liberal Party? You know, is this the type of guy that you want to have as your local representative? And so, 
you know, we're not trying to put forward a candidate. We're not trying to say, look, you know, um, here's someone that we think should be elected. We just want people to think about it. We just want people to say, is Michael Sukar the best person to represent us? Uh, and if not, just put him last on the ballot uh, and and pick another candidate. Uh, do your research. Think about who you want to to be your local representative. Um, you know, I personally want a member that supports a federal ICAC. Um, I, w- I, w- I want to vote for that. Uh, I think it's important. Um, so Michael Sukar does not fit that bill. How do you respond to claims that your movement's a Labor or Greens plant? Yeah, that's just a typical scare tactic. We are not run by a political party. We're not funded by a political party. We are just volunteers. But if you look at why the Liberals are running that scare campaign, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a scare tactic 101, right? You're not Liberal, therefore you must be Labor. You're not Liberal, therefore you must be Greens. And it's absolute rubbish because it's treating the electorate like they're mugs, like they're fools. Why can't I say Liberals are bad? Why do I then have to be part of these other groups? And it's, it's just rubbish. It's a scare tactic. Again, you look at these voices of groups in other electorates around the country, um, they are disaffected liberals. I mean, you look at what Tim Wilson's trying to do in Goldstein. It's, it's an absolute joke. And you look at what they're trying to do in other electorates. You know, these are liberals who are angry about the fact, you know, they feel abandoned by the Liberal Party, you know, um, it's, and therefore that's what they're doing. They're participating in democracy. So this claim that we're just some sort of Labor or Greens plant, it's just rubbish. And what we are is just a group of concerned people in the electorate who want to let people know what Michael Sukar's been up to and have people think, hey, is this the guy I want to be voting for? So are you working with other grassroots movements for advice or uh, assistance? We're not currently, but if anybody uh, in your in who's listening to this wants to help our campaign, we are more than welcome for suggestions. Um, you know, I've had some conversations with people in the electorate and they've made some good suggestions and we're taking that on board, right? We're not claiming to know everything. We're not claiming to be the best. We're just a group of people who want to try and we might fail. You know, let's be honest, we might fail. But if there's anybody out there who wants to help our campaign, we greatly appreciate any and all assistance, um, but we are all open to suggestions. So that was Kieran Simpson from the campaign to remove Michael Sukkar as the member for Deakin. And details for this campaign can be found at shadysukkar.com. So, David, that's a very unusual campaign. It's a campaign without a candidate, but essentially what they're recommending is a vote for everybody else except for Michael Sukkar. So it's not a pro-Labor or a pro-Green campaign. It's an anti-Liberal campaign to remove someone who they think is a very inappropriate member for Parliament. Now, Kieran did say that they might not be successful in their goals to remove Michael Sukkar, but a campaign is never just about the one action. It's the aggregate of all the different actions from all the different campaigns. And there is that snowflake effect in activism where it's always the one snowflake that creates the avalanche. But in this case, you think this campaign will work? I think that they will probably take away his primary vote. It's going to depend on how many independents run, I think. If they can get in a Zali Stegall or a Helen Haynes, someone who can talk the other candidates into not running and have one or maybe two very strong candidates to divert votes away from Sukar or if the Labor Party brings in 
because Deakin has been a Labor seat in the past. If the Labor Party brings in a, a good candidate, campaigns like this, grassroots campaigns that may lack a positive focus, shall we say, in that they want to remove whoever's sitting there, but they don't know or they don't mind who goes in. But a, a good candidate could work with that energy and that enthusiasm and that motivation and win, I think. As I said, I'll be watching the, the Cedar Deacon very closely on election night. In fact, I'll be watching all of the independents very closely because there's some very good and strong and interesting campaigns with independents, whether they'll be able to knock out fairly entrenched liberal members and senior liberal members will be another thing. Having said that, with the movements we've interviewed so far, a lot of the grassroots campaign have made up of people who were in the Liberal Party and who voted for the Liberal Party and feel that it doesn't represent them anymore. And this might lead to all kinds of interesting consequences. That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.